Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to a special episode of Revolution Recap. The New England Revolution recently signed goalkeeper Georgi Petrovic out of Serbia and midfielder Dylan Barrero, a Colombian playing in Brazil, so we thought it would be a good time to interview the Revolution's Director of Scouting and Player Personnel, Remy Roy, to find out more about how the Revolution found these players and what fans can expect from them, as well as digging deeper into the scouting done by the Revolution and Remy's career with the Revs that dates back to 2010, and includes him helping bring Matt Turner to the club. I'm Sean Donahue, and I was joined today by Greg Johnstone for the interview with Remy. Before we jump into the interview, I wanted to quickly mention the sponsor of the podcast, Galaco Kits. Galaco Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home, and you can head to galacokits.com today. You can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at galacokits.com. I also wanted to quickly mention our friends at the Bent Musket that you can check out at thebentmusket.com, and the Rebellion Supporters Group, which you can check out at anyrebellion.org. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now here's the interview. Today, we're very excited to welcome New England Revolution Director of Scouting and Player Personnel, Remy Roy, who has served in the role since January 2018, after previously serving as an assistant coach for the club with a focus on goalkeeping dating back to 2010. Remy, thanks a lot for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I think the topic that's First on everyone's mind right now is the two recent signings the Revolution made, uh, Jordi Petrovic and Dylan Barrero. Uh, Petrovic out of Serbia, Dylan Barrero, a Colombian playing in Brazil. Could you tell us a bit about what qualities the two of them bring to the team and how the Revolution discovered them? Yeah, um, I'll start by talking about you know the process to get the two players on our radar. Dylan was been tracked a little longer. Uh, it was like the end of September uh, that I was starting to, tra- to track him and my relationship that I had with the club there and the agent. And, you know, we, um, we got our eyes on him and we, we had an idea that it could be a possibility. Um, and obviously, especially because of the size of the club that he was playing for and, you know, the, the details in the deal, it took, it took some time to be able to come to, to where the signing was happening. We were hoping to, you know, obviously be it done before, but it took a little bit longer than, than, um, than maybe another deal. Uh, but, um, you know, Dylan obviously was from Colombia and he moved to Brazil when he was 17. Um, we had somebody that had, I had eyes on him when he was 17 in Colombia. So we've, we've known him for quite a bit. Um, but the fact that he left his country and went to Brazil and, adapted there and he learned Portuguese in six months, um, you know, shows that he will be easier for him to adapt in the U S. Um, and obviously we spend quite a bit of time with him and he's, he's a great kid. He's still, he still is a kid. Um, and, uh, he's looking for, very looking forward to come to the, to the U S and play for, for the revolution. Uh, Georgie was about, you know, January, maybe mid-January, when we found out there was possibly we could lose um, Matt. Um, and um, so his was not as long as we tracked him, but still a few months that we were tracking him um, and thought he would be a great profile to replace Matt. Uh, he has a lot of 
similar qualities that Matt has as a player. Obviously, he's a little younger, but he has a lot of experience for his age. Uh, he's already played, you know, almost 100 games as a professional, and he's only 22 years old. He's played at all level with the youth national team. He's got a senior national team cap. Um, so, and, um, you know, again, with him, he's, he, he had very, uh, very positive talks with him uh, about coming to the U.S. and to the MLS. So we felt it would be a good addition to have. And for those that know your background, you've obviously spent a lot of time working with goalkeepers. Um, so Petrovic signing in particular uh, is, is something that we're really interested in. And what do you see as his potential? And is he a guy that can kind of step in right away when, when Matt Turner leaves? I mean, we... I don't. I, I think we always do signings for uh, to help the squad at any time, right? So his playing time, you know, we'll decide on him because he he obviously has to come in and you know do well and adapt. There's always an adaptation pro- process with uh, the new players, uh, but uh, to say you know when he will play and all that, that'll that'll be up to the coaching staff and and how he performs when he's here. And, and on that note, Barrero is a guy that, you know, we've heard a lot of comparisons to Tejan Buchanan, I think even from Bruce Arena. Um, is he at the level where you think he can step in right away or is there going to be an adjustment period? I know it's obviously difficult for an international guy to step in in the middle of a season. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, with a few players, it's a little different, right? Because you can always make subs in the middle of the game or toward the end of the game and he's an attacking player. So it may be a little bit easier for him to get some playing time early. How much is that? You know, again, it'll depend on how how quick he adapts. I mean, he, he is fit um, because he went through preseason uh, in Brazil and he played the state, the state league already, which they won. So he, uh, he was very involved with them during the state league. So he is, um, his fitness level is, is quite good. So, and then we'll see when he gets here, how, how quick he can adapt to the players. He, he understands English a little bit, uh, speaks a little bit, uh, but uh, he's very good with language. Like I say, he, learns Portuguese in six months, which is not, not easy. Um, so I, I, I have a feeling he'll adapt fairly quick. Uh, Remy, before we get into some other questions, we want to talk about your background and your career first. Uh, you are originally from New Brunswick, Canada, but ended up playing at the University of Mobile, Alabama, and ended up coaching there as well. Uh, how did you end up going from New Brunswick, Canada, to the University of Mobile? Well, I, I wanted to come to the U.S., and I didn't speak English, and uh, so, you know, going to bigger schools, I felt was going to be harder for me. So I chose a smaller school and I liked it because it was in the South. I didn't have to deal with the snow like I did in Canada. Um, and it ended up being a great move for me. Um, and then I ended up staying there and, and helping coach part time after and keep playing in the lower leagues and ended up coaching in the lower league. So it turned out all right. And how did you first land with the revolution? You've been with the organization since 2010. Uh, you were hired during the Steve Nickel era. Uh, how did you end up with the New England Revolution? A friend of mine was the goalkeeping coach here, and he he was leaving. He he was uh, he he got another job offer, and he called me if I'd have an interest. And uh, I said, yeah. I said, you know, at the time I was coaching in college, and um, I was just finished working. Um, with Puerto Rico for the 2010 World Cup qualifiers. And, um, and I was not going to work in the USL that year. So I was like, yeah, I, I, I definitely would have an interest. And then the minute I met Steven Nichol, it was, uh, it took me five minutes to decide I wanted to do it. 
back then under Steve Nichol during the early days uh, of MLS, much like the rest of the, the league, the revolution did a lot of scouting uh, via video. Um, there was kind of um, no dedicated scouting staff, if I remember correctly. The coaches did a lot of their own scouting. Um, can you talk about where the team was when you walked in as far as uh, scout the scouting department uh, and kind of your responsibilities when you came in? Well, you know, in 2010, I think every team in MLS didn't really have a scouting department. I mean, most most players were signed through, you know, GMs and assistant GMs and coaching staff were doing the scouting. So I think that was a norm for everybody. And then from then on, I think a lot of teams just started playing around on how we can, you know, get better players and have more resources as, you know, teams were investing more, more money. Um, and then in 2018, when I came into this department, you know, I, I wouldn't say we were the, the last club, but, you know, we, there was, other, there was other clubs that had already started a scouting department. And obviously we've grown since, um, since 2018, since I took this position. So, and I think that every club, you know, will keep growing in this department because, where the league is going. I was going to say, how many, I guess the, they formed the scouting department in 2018. Um, how many dedicated scouts are there now for the revolution? So when I came in 2018, it was just myself, but now, it, it, you know, now it's a bigger department, right? With, uh, um, we have multiple people that, that are in the department. So um, in, in all different, you know, areas from, you know, scouting players from data, from video analysts. Uh, and then we have obviously scouts outside of, of Boston as well. So uh, we, I, I wouldn't say we are the biggest scouting department, but we definitely um, are, are up there with the most part of the, of the team in the league. And um, for you personally, how did the shift from assistant coach to director of scouting and player personnel uh, come about? Uh, did you um, state your interest in building out the scouting department? Uh, what led to you making that jump from assistant coach to director of scouting? So it started in 2017. Um, because I was doing so much of the college scouting, international scouting, and coaching, you know, I had internal conversations here at the club that it, it, I felt like it was probably a good idea to, to start thinking about how, you know, doing a scouting department. And when it was approved, um, there was a new coaching hire and they asked me if I would want to go on the scouting department. And I, I said, yes, because, you know, I, at the end of the, that I thought I was coaching in, in 17, um, you know, I, I, I was spending most of my day doing scouting and most of my night. And, um, so my mind was always into finding players, talking to agents. So I, I felt like it was just an easy transition and, um, and I always liked that part of the game. So it was a, it was an easy transition for me. You've worked with Steve Nichol, Jay Heaps, Brad Friedel, uh, and now you're working with Bruce Arena. Um, although sp specifically for the first two, you were doing coaching and scouting. Whereas, uh, as you mentioned, in 2018, uh, when Brad Friedel came in, you switched to the director of scouting and player personnel. Um, can you talk about um, how each of those coaches influenced scoutings, whether it was um, type of players sought, um, where you were looking for players. Uh, were there any major differences depending on who was the head coach at the time? No, I mean, I, I think I think every coach just wants good players. And, and when you bring a player, they always want a better player that's already in the team, right? So, um, you know, I, I've learned a little bit and piece from, from all of them uh, and, and try to 
bring bring that into what I do and how I do things. And um, so I, I would say that they they all have um, you know they all wanted different things in certain players, but in in the end they always wanted good players. So uh, so I, I learned I learned little bits of piece from all of them. And one of our favorite parts of the MLS offseason is the Super Draft. The Revolution have had a lot of success lately, whether it's Dewan Jones, Tejan Buchanan, Henry Kessler. What is the secret to the Revs' recent Super Draft success, especially as you know there's been less emphasis on it, or at least from an outside perspective, there's been less emphasis on it as the academies have taken off? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, 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 it's always been something that we've uh, – that's probably the one thing that has not changed uh, from all the coaches that I've been around, they've always, uh, allowed us to put emphasis into the draft pick. Uh, you know, I, I do heavily believe that, uh, there's very good players in college, some years more than others, but there's always players, uh, that can, um, that can help you, you know, depending where you are in the draft, obviously will decide, you know, what type of player you get. But if you do your homework, um, you may be able to get one player that you need in your team that maybe not necessarily somebody that will be get draft a uh, high draft pick. I mean, it shows every year there's somebody picked in the 23rd or, you know, sometimes in the second round that will make it in the league. Maybe not as much in the second and third round now that he used to be, but in 2010, there was many players that were drafted in the third round that would get a contract and play for 10 years. Right. So, um, it's it's uh it's something that i don't think will change i think um i think you need to adjust you know how much time you spend and how you do things in college but it's it's uh i think it's something that will ha- always have a place in the league yeah and you mentioned you know in 2010, you could, could get a guy in the third round that might be a, have a long career with the first team, and now that's that's pretty unlikely. And as far as changing resources to to the scouting the super draft, has has that gone down as far as time spent scouting college players, or because it's kind of harder to find that diamond in the rough now? How, how has that kind of changed since 2010? Well, I mean, I'll give a good example. I mean, we drafted Jacob Jackson in the in the first round, and and uh, because we needed a goalkeeper and. I I I I would say that he was probably not somebody that people thought he was going to go in the first round. So then, you know, maybe you pick somebody that you want. It doesn't really matter which round you take him because that's the player you want, right? So, um, whereas I think in the past, there was a little bit more people saying, you know, there's so many good players. We just got to make sure we don't pick the wrong guy in the wrong position in the wrong round because then we may lose the other guy. Whereas now, I think, teams can maybe be a little bit more specific on picking what they need uh, and what they think will adapt to their players. Um, so, And with the increased focus on the academy and, and revs too, how has that impacted the role of the scouting department beyond just obviously having a lot more roster spots to, to fill and how much energy, energy is kind of spent on the first team compared to younger prospects now that you have more of an opportunity to you know, start them out maybe before they're ready to play for the first team? Yeah, I mean, the, the synergy between the teams um, I mean, I can only speak at our club, but, you know, it's, uh, it's something we talk about every day, you know, from the academy to the second team to the first team, you know. Um, you know, Kurt, as a technical director, you know, puts a very strong emphasis on the player pro pathway, and it's something that us as the scouting department, we're not just scouting for the first team. We're looking at guys in all areas of the club that 
can be eventually with the first team because in the end that's that's that affects my my day to day because if I have somebody in the that plays from the under seventeen, under nineteen, that in two years can be with the first team, it will change the way I look at who I'm gonna sign as a foreigner, you know, in the January window. And there's obviously been a number of signings out of Brazil in the past couple of years. We talked about Barrero, a Colombian player that was playing in Brazil. Uh, Marcial's had success with the first team. Um, Michelle on the second team. And now recently, Jose Italo, Ryan Lima, Marcos Diaz. Is it, is it fair to say the team's put a lot of emphasis into scouting in Brazil over the past couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, it, it's, um, it's an area of the world where there's a lot, a lot, a lot of good players. And, um, you know, we, we've been fortunate. Uh, to have good relationship and uh, spent a lot of times over there and, and, and been able to attract players that can come and help us, uh, you know, with the first team and with the second team. And, um, you know, it, it will it always be in that area. I, you know, I, I can't tell you right now, but it's one that we've been successful. And um, if, 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 um, if the relationship stays, then, you know, who knows what can happen in the future. Has the switch from uh, having the the second team in uh, USL League One to the MLS Next Pro impacted at all? You know, the players you're able to sign or international slots or anything like that. Uh, I wouldn't say it has impact. Uh, you know, who we can sign and and you know how we can sign them. Uh, uh, I, I I think that the fact that we're playing in a league with all MLS team, I think some of the foreign players understand that better because um, that's the way they do it in their country. Uh, I think the fact that we sometimes have to explain to them that you're playing in a different league that's not affiliated with the MLS teams, like it was more like explaining to them how it worked. Um, not, not necessarily that they would say that it makes my job harder or easier. And the Revolution are one of about 20 teams in the Global Football Alliance, which was founded in 2020. We haven't heard too much about it publicly, um, but the, the GFA is obviously an association for soccer clubs from around the world. And part of that is supposed to be sharing the scouting network. How beneficial has that been and has it unlocked certain regions of the world to you that maybe you weren't putting as much emphasis into scouting before? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been, you know, any resources you, you add to your scouting department, it, it, it cannot be a negative. It's always a positive. Uh, because there's always something that you can learn or there's always something you can share or discuss an idea. And the fact that we're not competing in the same, in the same leagues and in the same country, uh, it can always be beneficial for us. Uh, Remy, the revolution have made two of their largest outgoing transfer fees in the past two year with the sales of Tejan Buchanan and Matt Turner. Uh, and there are reports of a lot of interest in Adam Buxa as well. Does the possibility of a designated player spot opening up and the transfer fees coming in from Tejan and, Tanner, uh, and, and Turner, um, does that impact the the type of players you might be looking at? And does that kind of reevaluate um, what you're scouting, where you're scouting, stuff like that? I wouldn't say so because we're always prepared. Um, you know, we're always prepared for anything. So we always have depth chart in all, all range of players, all areas of the world. So um, we don't want to have any surprises. So... Uh, I wouldn't say that a transfer out or transfer in changes the way we operate on a daily basis. Okay. And kind of following up on that too, I know the revs are using the U22 initiative for the first time as well. Um, this Maybe it's the same answer, but uh, to me, I, I think that really opens up kind of things league wide in terms of bringing in kind of younger players with higher upside and really encouraging teams to invest 
Um, kind of the, the same question, does that impact, did, did the formation of the U-22 initiative uh, encourage you guys to look into spending on, you know, maybe before you couldn't spend $4 million on a Barrero type, but now you can. Did that kind of change maybe looking at higher worth younger players or did that not really impact things, how you guys look at things at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I listen, when the league changes rules that, you know, benefits teams, I think uh, I think the, the, the rules are made for a reason and, and they want teams to try to to use them properly. But in the end, it's it's you're using them if you think that the player you're bringing in is going to help your team and it's going to be beneficial and it's going to be a, a good investment, right? So um, I would say at the rate, at the rate, or uh, how many times people do it, it's it's up to to them to to figure out if it's uh, if it's beneficial to their team and their club. So everybody uses it differently uh, because we all have different uh, mentality. But I think it's obviously uh, it's it's been uh, it's still an early um, process in the league, and I and I think that it's to encourage uh, bringing in younger players that we can maybe eventually sell. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been. I, I think up to now, it's 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 still early in the process, but I think it's been. Uh, it's it's a good one to have. We also can't let you go without talking about uh, one of your extremely successful finds. Uh, we talked about Matt Turner already, and we spoke to we interviewed Jay Heaps a few years ago, and we asked him where he found Matt Turner, and he gave you full credit for finding Matt. Um, Matt obviously was undrafted coming out of Fairfield. All Every Rubs fan uh, knows the story uh, at this stage. And seemingly he kind of slipped by everyone except for you. Uh, so uh, where did you find Matt Turner? How did you find him? Uh, and when you originally scouted him and when the Revs originally brought him in, did you ever think you would hit this level of success? Yeah, so so uh, Matt is, it, it is quite of a funny story, but um, a good one. Uh, a friend of mine who was an agent at the time, and he's not an agent anymore, um, he called me and asked me to watch a video of Matt in college. And he was like, he played for the same school I played at. This is the agent telling me this, that he's played at the same school at Fairfield. And he said, you know, the coach called me and said, uh, you know, can you have a look at this goalkeeper? I need help to place him to a team. And so the agent called me and said, look, I, I don't know anything about goalkeepers. Can you have a look at the goalkeeper? I was like, yeah, sure. So I, I watched the video and um, so I called him back and I said, uh, you know, can you hide him from me? And he was like, well, what do you mean? He was, I says, well, I, I, I would like to bring him into preseason. He goes, well, can, can you do more? I was like, well, you know, I kind of want to keep him for ourselves. And if I put him in the draft or, any, or in the combine, you know, other teams will see him, and I, I don't want people seeing him. So, and you know, this, this you can't hide college players, right? It, it's it's very difficult because if people see them, they're going to want to bring him into the combine. So, there's a little bit of a luck that he didn't get invited to the combine. So, once he didn't, uh, we brought him into preseason, and I knew probably after like the second session that I wanted to sign him. So I went to the GM at the time, Mike Burns, and I said, look, I, I want to sign this kid. And he was like, well, you've only, you've only had him for two days. I'm like, I, I don't need longer. I just don't want him leaving because we're not signing him and somebody's going to take him. And then he got hurt. Uh, he pulled his quad. And um, I went to Mike again and I was like, look, let's sign this kid. He's like, okay, look, we can sign him, but at least let's wait until he's not injured. 
so we signed him and uh you know i i listen i i, I nobody would ever can sit here and tell you that they would know at the time he was going to be sold to arsenal i was pretty confident he was going to end up being our starting goalkeeper in mls after that it was going to be up to him at the rate that he um you know improve and at the rate that he got success you know he has to take all the credit for because he's had multiple coaches and his his performance has only gotten better you know and that was the thing that attracted me with with Matt was that as much as he already had potential he was just like you know I call him like sponge like every coaching every coaching moment that I had with him it would take him like one session to change you know and every time he played a game and we did film the next game he he did not make that same mistake again you know so he improved at a fast rate and every time he had another goalkeeping coach after me he just kept improving and improving so you know once he got called into the national team then i was worried that we would lose him um so but again worried worried and happy because he he deserves all the credit he deserves you know everything that's happened to him he's worked extremely hard and um you know i'm I'm, I'm so happy for him. what was it about matt that you knew right away he was going to you wanted to sign him and you say you knew early on that he was going to be an mls starter and um you know you know, a lot of people have talked about his work ethic and, and you mentioned that he's a sponge and he takes everything in. But, you know, there was a, a some development. He was very raw when he came to the Revs. He had to go to Richmond Kickers for a little bit uh, and develop a little bit. What was it in those first few sessions or what you saw on video from your friend? Um, what was it about Matt Turner that right away you knew you had something? He can make saves that other people can't. Like, I, I call him goal, like saves that are goals. And uh, he, he makes those every day. That He'll make a save and you're like, that should have been a goal. So he, he, he can win you games. You know, he, he, can, he will win you points. And, um, and he very, very, very lose your points. And, and that was from the beginning. I mean, the first two weeks he was with us before he got hurt, you know, we put him into small-sided. And this is before I even worked with him, like, barely. And he, we play small-sided, and he would win all the games, you know. And uh, he would make saves that he would just, like, wow you. And, uh, you know, he, he, like I say, he's, he's doing that now, but he's, he's so much more polished, you know, than he was before. So it's, um, that, that, that was the main thing. And, and in order for him to get to the level he's been at, you have to do that, right? You have to separate yourself from the other goalkeepers and he can do things that other goalkeepers can't, you know, and, and I'm not talking about at an average level, I'm talking about a top level and, um, and I and I think that uh, I think he will surprise some people when he goes to England. I'm thinking about this that we mentioned earlier, Jacob Jackson. You guys drafted him, and he wasn't necessarily scouted as a first round goalkeeper, but he's someone you guys had an eye on. I, I believe uh, Kevin Hitchcock uh, really liked him as well. Um, as you're talking about Matt Turner, I guess I, I should ask about Jacob Jackson uh, and the qualities you see in him, because I know a lot of people, you know, you select a goalkeeper in the first round. Uh, a lot of people kind of have expect expectations that he's going to move up to the, I mean, he's on a first team contract now, but he's with the refs too. A, a lot of people kind of think he might be uh, a good prospect to keep an eye on in the future. Um, what are your thoughts on Jacob Jackson and what attracted him to you to use a first round pick on him? 
Well, it was the same way with Jacob. is is very similar to the story than Matt, is that I got a, a video from an agent that asked me my opinion on the goalkeeper, and it, it was kind of very similar. That, you know, and, and But in this day and age, it's a little bit harder to... Uh, to slip somebody through the draft. So, uh, but it was very, very similar. I think Jacob has a lot of abilities, um, and you know he's he's doing really well in the second team, and obviously has a great coach in Kevin. That um, you know, who who knows what can happen, right? Mm-hmm. He he obviously yeah, is very similar age and Matt, and uh, let's see if we can have a, a similar story. <laughs> Uh, well, Remy, before we let you go, uh, you've had a, a very fascinating career on the bench uh, up uh, as the director of scouting. Um, which do you enjoy more? Uh, do you miss coaching? Uh, do you like between coaching and scouting, uh, you know, which do you prefer? Uh, and do you ever see yourself going back and potentially coaching goalkeepers again someday? I mean, which one do I like better? It's a tough one because I would say uh, either have their advantage and there's advantage. Uh, I mean, I do miss game day as a coach. Um, but, um, the, 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 um, you know, when you're bringing in players and they do well and the satisfaction of that, you know, it's, it's, it brings you that same, that same feeling, you know, uh, would I ever go back to coaching? I'd never say never. Uh, but I, I, I definitely, I really enjoy my, I don't even call it work. Um, you know, I, I come every day, um, and it, it you know, it's not an eight to five job and, uh, uh, it makes, it, it makes it easy, right? It doesn't, you never look at a moment that, that, uh, you're doing something as work. You're just trying to make the team better and you're enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gotta say, it must be so satisfying to see Matt Turner or Tejan Buchanan kind of come in as a very raw player. And then within a few years, uh, they're moving over to Europe and they're, you know, potentially playing in the world cup. Uh, I, I can't imagine that must be such a satisfying feeling. So, um, Remy, we, we have one question that we ask all of our guests, and typically we're interviewing a player, so we say, what is the one moment of your soccer career that you are most proud of, or like one moment that you, you know, your favorite memory in soccer? Uh, so we'll we'll ask that to you. You've been a player, you've been a coach, you've been a, a scout. Um, what has been your favorite memory of your soccer career to date? Oh, I mean, you know, last season was pretty, uh, it, it, you know, it, it was very special. Um the success we had, and I think, you know, obviously we came up short, but just the whole process on how we got to it and all the work that got put in, it was uh, it was definitely an enjoyable time uh, last year. And, and uh, sad that we didn't make it all the way to the end, but uh, I would say it was pretty memorable. It was a great season, and hopefully there's some more success around the corner for us. So, um Remy, I, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been great. Uh, thank you for joining our podcast today. Thanks for having me.